And so when it was kind of funny when I was leaving Louisville when I found out and I went, what? And so I was sending text messages to him and Scott and telling them how disgusted I was in them. And, and so uh, they both, I think, felt really bad. And so here, here we stand. Um, in April of 2001, there was a missionary family in Peru, uh, the Bowers family, and you may have heard about this on the news. They had been in Peru for a number of years, had adopted a, a young um, daughter. I think she was seven months old. They had gone there having some problems getting visas and passports and all of that uh, squared away with the adoptions. They traveled to another country to get the adoption paperwork. And on the way back, as they were flying, they had rented a private pilot or one of the missionary pilots. On the way back, as they were flying through Peru, a Peru Air Force jet mistook them for a drug smuggling operation. And so, um, as you might imagine, they're not real um, patient with drug smugglers. And they, their attempts to get in touch with the plane failed, and so they shot them down. Uh, when they shot them down, the mother and the seven-month-old daughter who they had gone to get the paperwork were killed instantly from bullet wounds. The father and the six-year-old son survived. It was, a, it was a tragic, tragic thing. It was all over the news, everywhere. I remember hearing about it when it happened. They came back here for the funeral. When they came back, their pastor said this. He said they, they were interviewing him on Fox, CNN, all these news, news people were interviewing him. And he said this. He said, we affirm our faith that God is in control. Nothing ever deters his eternal plan. Nothing ever deters his eternal plan. His sermon that Sunday, it had been planned for months. And he, 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 he told the news people this. He, he said, he said I'm going I'm to preach the same thing I've been planning for months. They asked, they said, how do you, how do you address your people in this moment? And he said, I'm going to address them the same way I've been planning because what I had planned to preach on months ago, the passage that God had led me to, was Mark 8.35. For whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. God is in control. God is in control. Seven days after the funeral, Jim Bowers, the father, the widower, made this statement. He said, because of her death, many more people have been convicted of the truth. I have, huge open, I have a huge open door, much more than I would have had if we went on with our life. There's so much evidence that God was in this. Those people who did this simply were used by God to accomplish his purpose. This is a remarkable statement. A remarkable statement from a man who has just lost his seven-month-old daughter and his wife. A remarkable statement. And the question is, how, how, can, he, how can he say this? How can his faith endure in a moment like this? How, how can he stand before people and, and stand before the, whole, the future of his life and his son's life, answering all the questions? and yet trust in God's plan and God's sovereignty. How can he do that? A lot of you, many of you were here Wednesday night for Dr. Ware's sermon, and as, as I sat there and took notes, I think most of you in here, the ones I've talked to, just loved it. You, you were eating it up, going, wow, 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 yeah, yeah, right on, right on. It was an amazing, amazing 
exposition of God's, of God's providence. And so as we heard that, and as I was thinking, I was thinking, wow, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth. When you think about an individual in Scripture, when you see God's providence, there's a lot of them. You think of Joseph, and you certainly think of numerous men and women in Scripture. But Ruth really stands out in my mind. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're just going to take an overview of, of the story of Ruth, of the life of Ruth, and, and we won't, we're not going to dive into every verse, you know, never fear. I told the youth last night, we, we went through a whole chapter of Second Chronicles, and I said, if you think this is bad, tomorrow night we're going to do the whole book of Ruth. So uh, here we go. So open your Bible to the book of Ruth. As you're turning there, I want to just kind of throw something at you, and then we're going to come back to it, but I want this to be in the back of your mind. This is kind of an interesting fact, a little tidbit for you to know as we move through Ruth. Ruth is the first book, has the first occurrence of hope in the Bible, uh, the word hope. It's the first time that that word is used in Scripture, okay? And so think about that, and we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back around to Ruth and talk about that. But our story begins in Bethlehem, of all places. It begins in Bethlehem. Let's read starting in verse 1. We'll read a, a portion of the first chapter together. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. This is a bad situation. We, we would all agree. They've, they've been there for a number of years, and her husband dies. They're there for about ten more years, and both of her sons die. This is not a good situation for Naomi. Especially in, in this context. Let's read on. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab, Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have no hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. So we, so we pick up right away and we see a, a tragedy. At a time in the land of Israel when there were no kings, it was the time of the judges, and, and Ruth and her, or Naomi and her husband journey to Moab with their family. They pick up and move. This is not the time of Facebook and Twitter and, 
and texting and cell phones, when you pick up and move, you leave and you don't see them again. This is a, a drastic, significant decision to do. So, so they move, they leave their land, they go to Moab, where a, a land filled with people who worshipped other gods. They travel to Moab, and in Ruth 1, we read about the tragedy that happens, where Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die, and it leaves her without anyone to care for her. Now, there's an important custom we need to understand. It's, it's called the kinsman redeemer, that when a man died, his brother or near relative would marry the widow to preserve the brother's name and provide for the widow. What's the problem here? They have no family there. They have no family. So when this happens in Moab, what happens? There's no one there to care for them. No one. They are by themselves. There's no one there to provide for them. There's no one there to take care of them. They're hopeless. Their, their life has been utterly transformed. The, the rug has been pulled out from under their feet. And so what is Naomi's reaction? What is Naomi's reaction? It's bitterness. It's bitterness. I love how God's word is so blatantly honest. It, it doesn't pat over and give you sugar-coated reactions to, to tough situations. Naomi was bitter against God. Read with me. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. We just read it at the very end. He said, she says what? She says, No, my daughters, it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. God's hand is against me. Then look in verse eight, uh, 20 and 21 on down. Listen to what she tells them. She says when she comes back, she's going back to Bethlehem at this point. She returns to Bethlehem. And they say, hey, hey, this is Naomi. Here's Naomi. Listen to what Naomi says, how she relays, how she communicates her name and who she is and what's happened in her life. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. See, Naomi meant pleasant. And she says, my name is not pleasant. My name is bitter. My name is Mara. God has come out against me. And she's responding in just, just raw emotion. She's bitter towards God. And we can sense that. We see her going, no, don't call me Naomi anymore. Listen, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you. I'm coming back, and I'm coming back as a widower. I have nothing. I went with my family, and I have no family. I'm back, and I'm bitter. God acted against me. Piper, John Piper said this. He says that when we decide that God is against us, our hopelessness is exaggerated. When we decide that God's against us, our hopelessness is exaggerated. So the question, it's an important question that we have to ask, and it's one that, that Dr. Ware asked Wednesday night, is this, is, is does God bring calamity? Did God bring calamity in this instance? It, was God responsible? Could, could Ruth look up and say, God, you were responsible for this? You were here Wednesday night. You know the answer. The answer is yes. Look at Isaiah 45, 4 to 7. Look at Isaiah 45, 4 to 7. Or listen to this. You can just listen if you don't want to turn there. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor. Though you have not known me, I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you. 
though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. What is the key statement you see in this passage? If you turn to Isaiah, what's the, there's a key statement at the very beginning of verse 4. What does the beginning of verse 4 say? For the sake of, my ja- of, of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by name. I am the Lord, there is no other. He goes in to explain, I am God, there is no other. And he says, I bring blessing and I bring calamity. But it's for the sake of his people. You see the difference here? You see in Isaiah, we understand and we see that God does bring blessing. And there are instances where God does bring trials. But it's not because God is against his people. You see the difference? Naomi looks and says, God has acted against me. She's acted against me. He's acted against me. He's called God a she, I think. I have to go back and edit that out of the recording. God does not act against his people. God acts for the sake of his people. That doesn't mean that God always pats you on the back and gives you an easy road. But God is acting for your sake. Now listen to what she says. She says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mata, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The, the, the name of God, when she says Almighty, what you know the names of God. If some of you have done the names of God study. If you're a teenager, we've done that this year. What, what name of God in Hebrew is, is God Almighty? Does anyone know? El Shaddai. Very good. El Shaddai, God Almighty. And, and she says that the Almighty has acted against me. The God Almighty, El Shaddai, expresses God's absolute rule and authority. Okay, it's, it's the expression that, that describes his might and his ability to supply every need that we have. It, there's, there's that provision, that, that supply of, of needs element to that. It's not just that, that God is almighty, but it's that God is almighty and he can supply every need that we have. There's no one else we need to turn to because God is almighty. And, and it's a very common description, very common name that God's people use throughout the Old Testament is El Shaddai. And so she looks and she makes a statement. She says that God Almighty has acted against me. And, and she rightly referred to him here. Because there's no other name of God that would have brought about this situation. It wouldn't have come from any other source. Right? Now, now consider the element when we talk about God's provision. When we see that name first revealed, it's in the context of God providing, being Almighty to provide for his people. Now, there's another name when she says, call me Mata. There's another instance in Scripture where this is used. You, some of you may remember it's in Exodus 15 when the people leave Egypt and they're traveling back and they're dying of thirst. They're, they're exhausted and they just want a drink and they finally come around to a, to a pond and they're thinking, wow, our thirst is finally going to be quenched. And they go and they start lapping it up and the water is bitter and the place is called Mata. 
And in that instance, in Exodus 15, 23, God reveals himself as Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals. The God who heals. Now, I don't know. I have no idea if Ruth or Naomi are thinking about this. I don't know. I think they perhaps could. I think they certainly could be thinking and saying, you know, I know El Shaddai, that he is almighty and he's mighty to provide every need that we have. She certainly could be thinking of this. She certainly could be thinking of the instance where her people traveled and they came to Mara and they wanted water so badly and it came out bitter. And God sweetens the water for them and says, I am the God who heals. But whether she knew it or not or whether she realized it or not, we have the blessing and the privilege of looking back through the testimony of Scripture now and seeing how God is working all this together and seeing how God, El Shaddai, Almighty to provide every need. We know she, he, is, he is about to provide every need that Naomi has. And we know that the pain and the agony and the tragedy that she's gone through is about to be healed by Jehovah Rophi. We know that. Let's move on. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. We see here a few verses earlier that, that we, what we read, that Naomi has decided to go back to Bethlehem. She leaves Moab, and, and as she's going to leave, you have the instance where you have the mother-in-law speaking to the two daughter-in-laws. This has to be somewhat awkward, I would think, if it's anything like our current day situations with mother, mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and how that can be. But you have these two daughter-in-laws who are committed to her, and, and they say, we're going with you. And she says, no, no, you stay home. Stay here with your family. It's bad enough for me. Stay here. And Orpah submits to that. She says, okay, and she stays. And Ruth does what? Ruth goes, right? We have the passage that's read at every, every wedding. It seems like it was um, read at our wedding. It was interesting. I look back, and I'm not exactly sure why it was read there since it doesn't have much to do with marriage other than just commitment. Um, but anyway, Listen, listen to verses 16 and 17. It says, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and, where, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. I, I think it's a, a quite humorous statement as you have this dialogue going on between Naomi and Ruth, and Naomi's saying, you stay, and Ruth says, no way, no way. I'm going wherever you go. I'm following you. Your people will be my people. Your God is going to be my God, and death alone is what's going to separate us. I'm going. And it just says that Naomi kind of looked at her and went, all right. It <laughs> didn't say another word, and you have this vision of them going, okay, and going off on their way. You have a commitment from Ruth, what brought Ruth to this point? Have you ever wondered that? Look at, think about what Ruth has seen. What does Ruth know? She's just seen the tragedy of tragedies in their time. She's lost her husband and her father-in-law. This is a, this is a bad thing. She has no one to provide for her. Naomi cannot provide for her. She can't. It doesn't work that way. What has she seen? You have to imagine that before all the tragedy, 
she saw the testimony of people faithful to a living God. There was something in there, even maybe it was in the midst, there was something that Ruth saw to cause her to say, listen, I'm following you, your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. I've seen him, I've seen what he does, I've, I've seen him work. Listen, when she does this, when she looks at Naomi and says, I'm following you and your God will be my God, your people will be my people, this isn't like moving from Pulaski County to Wayne County where everything's the same except for the school mascots. This is a complete worldview change. This is, you go from a land that, that's filled with, with, with different gods to the land of Israel. You're, you're going to a, a whole new life. So she's leaving behind everything she knows. She's leaving behind her family now to go with Naomi. And she commits wholeheartedly to this. Listen, some of you in here that are not Christians, you need to realize that there's times when, or there's not times, that the deal is this, is when you commit your life to Christ, you turn your back on everything. Everything. And so you turn your back on, on every false worldview, on everything you would live for, on everything that you would build your life on, on everything that you would say, this will give me security and this will give me hope and this will take care of my future. You turn your back on that and you turn your face to God. You repent and you follow him in faith. I don't know what gave Ruth the faith. I don't know what exactly caused her to do that. I don't know. But something in Ruth caused her to follow after Naomi's God. Even when Naomi is bitter. Naomi's not showing a, a happy-go-lucky Christianity right here. Naomi's bitter. God's acted against me, but Ruth still follows after him. They get back to Bethlehem in chapter 2. And what happens is that Ruth, quote-unquote, stumbles into Boaz's field. Listen to verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in, the, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Proverbs 16.9 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. Ruth, Ruth doesn't accidentally stumble upon this field. We, we see God's hand guiding. We, we see, we're starting to see his sovereignty and his providence unfold here. Chapter 1 is a, a, is a chapter really with a not, a, not a lot of hope, but all of a sudden in chapter 2 they've gone back to Bethlehem and you see God really starting to work here. You, you see them coming, you see the provision of Boaz, and so Ruth goes to glean, which is just to, to gather what's left by the reaper. She goes to glean in the fields until she finds someone that will show her favor. And, and she winds up in Boaz's field. And she gleans all day, and she works. In verse 11 and 12, Boaz is, is impressed with her. He, he asks the workers, he says, who, who is this young lady? Who, who is this? They say, wow, she came and, and she started gleaning and she's worked all day. She hasn't stopped working, but, but just to get some water and find some shade. She's working hard. 
And Boaz goes, okay. Okay, I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. She's working hard. Why don't you let her come back? And so Ruth returns and she tells Naomi, she says, listen, where have you been? I, she says, I've, I've, been, I've been gleaning all day in the field. Well, whose field did you go to? Well, some guy named Boaz. Boaz, really? This is great. How'd it go? Good. He was real impressed with me. That's great. Let me tell you who Boaz is. Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. Boaz is the one that would be second in line. We have one more here. But Boaz would be second in line to be responsible for our family and for caring us, caring for us. This is a significant thing. Listen, sometimes it's really difficult to see God working. It's really difficult to, to step back when you're in the midst of a storm and see God working. This is where this is where they are right now. They're not out of the storm yet, but they're finally getting to the edge of it. And they're getting there, and they're, they're starting to be able to see glimpses of God working. And so now, I'm gonna, we're going to fast forward. But in chapters 3 and 4, Boaz winds up redeeming Ruth. He, he redeems her. Ruth goes, and, and Naomi instructs her, says, you go back, and, and I, I want you to continue going back and gleaning in the field. And ultimately, Naomi says, Ruth, here, here's the deal. I want you to go, and I want you to lay at Boaz's feet after he eats. And just lay at his feet. And so, so Boaz is asleep and, and Ruth goes and just lays at his feet all night. And he wakes up and it's a, it's a demonstration of her loyalty. And so he gets up, he sends her on her way. And he goes and he meets with who would be the first kinsman redeemer. And he makes a deal. He says, listen, here's the deal. We have Naomi and, and somebody needs to be responsible for her. We're kinsman redeemers. And the guy says, okay, all right. And she says, well, or he goes, well, here's the deal. Here's, here's the thing is... You also have Ruth from Moab. I mean, you know, you know, take her too. And the guy says, oh, or reconsider. You go ahead. You go ahead. Boaz says, all right. And so Boaz goes back and, and he redeems Naomi and Ruth, both of them. He takes them under, her, under his care. He takes them under his shelter. Now, what is the significance of this? What happens? Think about the rest of Ruth, you that know the story. Think about the rest of Ruth. What happens? Ruth marries Boaz. And they have a child. And that child is who? Obed. Okay. Meaningless name, right? No, it's not. Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. And who comes out of the lineage of David? Jesus. Do you see? Do you see what God has done? Do you see God's plan unfolding? Do, do you see what he's done? He, he sends Naomi and her husband and sons to Moab. And so they go to Moab. Her husband dies, her sons die, but not before they take two wives. And so after they die, she decides, I'm going back home. No one's going to provide for me here. I've got to find a kinsman redeemer. I'm returning home. You stay here. 
Well, one of the ladies, one of the young ladies is very stubborn, and she says, no, I'm going with you, sister. And so she goes with her. And so God brings them back, Ruth and Naomi, back, what? To, to Boaz's field. And they marry, and father Obed, who fathers Jesse, who fathers David. Do you see God's plan? Do you see how all this comes around? This is, a, this is an incredible thing. Verse, chapter 4, verse 17, the end of the book, says the neighbor, let's see, we'll start in verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman, women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth is mentioned in the lineage now, a Moabite. She's mentioned in the lineage of Christ. Why? Because God acted against her? No. Because God acted for the sake of his people. You you see the dominion and the providence of God unfold here. Hope was introduced in the book of Ruth. It was introduced in the book of Ruth. And it was given to us in Christ. Listen, we need to learn to ask, where is God and what is he doing? Where is God and what is he doing? Where is El Shaddai? God is never idle. He's always working in his creation. He's never unaware of what's going on. His eyes are always on his creation. God is never idle. And we know that. And so in the midst of tragedy, we need to ask, where is God and what's he doing? It doesn't mean that we ignore emotions. It doesn't mean that we don't have times where we respond like Naomi does. And Naomi looks and and she says, oh, I am angry. I'm hurt. I'm I'm troubled. I'm, I'm worried. And just raw emotions. But it means in the midst of that that we keep in mind and we know no matter what happens, God acts for the sake of his people. For the sake of his people. And sometimes that is blessing. Sometimes it means calamity. But he acts for the sake of his people. John Piper said the point of Ruth is not just that God is preparing the way for the coming king of glory, but that he's doing it in such a way that all of us should learn that the worst of times are not wasted. They're not wasted globally historically, or personally. The worst of times are not wasted. Ask Naomi. Ask Ruth. The worst of times are not wasted. Hope. Hope revealed through God's plan in the life of a Moabite. And fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. That you have the kinsman redeemer in Boaz. And you have the redeemer in Christ. You you see all of this working together. All this working together. It's God's providence. It's what Dr. Ware taught us about Wednesday night. It's an example I would encourage you, I mean, we could not read all of Ruth tonight. 
I would encourage you to go home tonight and just read through the book of Ruth. Just read it's four chapters. Just read through it in one setting. And look at how God's hand is active throughout that book. It starts in Bethlehem. It journeys through the worst tragedy you could imagine. And it ends by saying, this is the lineage of our king. Some of you may need to simply trust God like Ruth did. And step out in wholehearted faith and follow God wherever he's leading. God may be saying to some of you, go. So maybe you need to go. Some of you need to just look at the picture of Boaz as a redeemer who paid the price necessary for Naomi and Ruth. And look to Christ who paid the the price necessary for you and your sin in redemption. So some of you simply need to come to Christ. Some of you need to be reminded that God has a plan for your life. Some of you need to ask, where is God? What's he doing in my life? Because it seems like you're in a a dark night. You're in a valley right now. So ask, where where is God? What is he doing? God, I trust that you are working on behalf of your people. I trust that you're working for the sake of your people. God, help me to see it. God, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm scared. God, help me to have faith in you. It's just a beautiful picture of God's providence. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Let's pray.